0: had a friend over for dinner the other night he was in town on business and we were in the lounge having some drinks and he was asking me about you know what I was doing in my spare time and we got talking about the fantasy football and and the podcast and you know the things that I've been doing on Twitter and we got into dialogue and he asked me he said have you talked to your listeners about you know your prior history your background and I was like no no I you know I, I just got into this for fun I just wanted to talk fantasy football and you know shoot the shit with the listeners. And he's like, well, why haven't you told him that you have a background in playing football and coaching football? And I said, I didn't wanna get in my background. I said, you know, I'm just here to have fun. And he said, well, why the hell would people listen to you if they don't understand that you know what you're talking about, what you're looking for? He said, a lot of people don't understand when you look at tape, what you're supposed to be looking for. And he, he made a really good point. So, you know, I changed my profile on Twitter just to let you know, I played the quarterback position. I've coached quarterbacks, wide receivers, offensive linemen. I've had film study looking at fundamentals, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. You know, after talking to my buddy, he made it very clear that the reason you can see these things is because you've been through it and your experience is gonna help other people realize and see things the way you see things and perhaps it can help them and enlighten them in their process. You know, I really left the conversation, you know, with. Thinking that, you know, hey, I never thought about it that way. And I felt like I needed to say it to you guys just so you know that I'm not somebody that just came up out of nowhere and you know, I've been there, I've had a chance to to go through that. So, you know, I just want to have some fun. I appreciate all the people that come listen. You know, you return, you want to hear some insight. So I do appreciate that. I want to give you good content, but I also want to be transparent and I want to build that relationship so that you can better understand me and I can better understand my listeners and really have a good time and enjoy what we do, knock back a couple drinks, win some championships, talk fantasy football. So thanks for joining me tonight in the lounge. It's episode three. Tonight we're going to talk about LaVisca Chenault. Hope you're ready for this. Grab your drink. Let's get started. So let's start with Lavishka Chenault. His friends call him Visca, so we're gonna call him Visca too. His date of birth is 10-5-1998, and he's currently listed at 6'2", 220 pounds. Now Chenault was a three-star recruit out of Texas. He didn't take up the sport of football until the ninth grade, and he played mostly tight end once he did. So he was pretty much ignored by major schools. Now, the wide receiver coach under Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech by the name of Darren Shaverini, discovered Chenault during a visit to high school and he wanted to convert him to wide receiver. So the high school team began using Chenault as a wide receiver and Chivarini ended up leaving Texas Tech and he became the OC at Colorado and Visca then became his top target. So once word got out uh, about you know this player in Texas, he got on Alabama's radar and Alabama really began recruiting him hard They were already working on getting Jerry Judy, Devonta Smith, Henry Ruggs, but they also wanted Visca. And so Visca took a trip to Tuscaloosa. You know, he had his visit there and he didn't feel like it was a good fit. And so he ultimately chose Colorado, teaming up with, you know, Shiverini. He ended up leaving high school as a three-star athlete. He was ranked seventy-third best wide receiver in his high school class. Now, in in the past, we talked about high school, and three-star athletes are pretty much where the bulk of the college football prospects are found. It incorporates a large range of their ability levels, right? Uh, anyone that's considered a possible NFL player long-term typically doesn't fall below a three-star ranking. Uh, and then if they become an impactful college player, they're considered talented enough to have an NFL you know, upside, in NFL career. And there's 1,300 three-star athletes ranked per year, which is roughly 0.044% of all eligible senior football players so talking about how high school translates to college and then translates to the pros i think it's important that we continue to talk about that we need to add some context in our evaluations you know it's difficult to grade a player just on one or two years they pop up you don't know that much about them so it's nice to go back even further see what they were like as a prospect before hitting college and at the high school level now Let me be clear, the high school success and their rankings does not tell the complete story. Uh, Just recently, I think it was yesterday or the day before, I read an article where a four-star linebacker was at Auburn, he transferred, and he was arrested for body slamming a cop while he was intoxicated. So this just shows us that unfortunately, some of these kids they can't handle the college life, they can't handle the pressures that go along with their roles. So there are many talented five-star athletes, four-star athletes that just fall through the cracks. They never make it to the NFL. So just because you're a four-star athlete, a three-star athlete, a five-star athlete at the high school level, it doesn't mean you're gonna translate directly to the NFL. But if you're one of those ranked athletes and you have a good college career, it's saying that the talent is there. So you go to the next level, you get that opportunity, draft capital increases that odds of you being success, your data metrics increase those odds of you being successful, your landing spot increase those odds of being successful. So it's just another piece of the puzzle. And I think it's important that we go back even further than just college, just so we have an idea, a bigger picture of these prospects. So with Visca being ranked as the 73rd wide receiver in his class, let's look at some other NFL players with similar value coming out of high school. Michael Thomas for the New Orleans Saints, he was a three-star ranked wide receiver, 89th in his class, he was a second-round pick. Mike Evans was a three-star ranked wide receiver, number 83 in his class, and he was a first-round pick. Players like DJ Moore, Chris Godwin, Cortland Sutton, they were all ranked as three-star wide receivers coming out of high school. And if you look at the top 50 dynasty wide receivers right now, there's probably about 15 of them that were three-star ranked players or ranked wide receivers in high school. So let's dive into Visca's college production once he arrived at Colorado. Now, he began his true freshman season at 18 years and 10 months of age in 2017. He played seven games and had seven receptions for 168 yards. Now, as I dug deeper into this, the coaching staff claimed that Visca wasn't ready to play offense as a freshman. He didn't grasp the offense and the change to full-time wide receiver. Now, they admitted that he was a special athlete from the beginning, and that was clear. His first game as a true freshman, Colorado put him as a punt returner in the second game of the season, and on his very first touch of his college career, he received a first quarter punt, and he took it 55 yards for a touchdown. Now, the coaches have since admitted that they should have played him more as a freshman, and Visca has said on record several occasions, that he was very frustrated that he wasn't playing. He felt he was the best player on offense. And that year, the Buffalo skill players consisted of Philip Lindsay at running back, and the top three wide receivers on the team were Bryce Bobo, Shea Fields, and Devin Ross. Now, all three of them were seniors, so it's not hard to see why they were on the field most of the time. You know, they knew and understood the offense. But look no further than the Oregon State game that year. Colorado scored 36 points and they won 36-33 against a team that ultimately finished 1-11. But Coach Mike McIntyre involved only three offensive players in that game. Three, Lindsey had 28 carries, 185 yards, and two touchdowns, and Bobo and Fields combined for 14 catches, 168 yards, and two touchdowns. Now, I don't know what game and what level that you incorporate three players in four quarters of football, but obviously, McIntyre was out of his league. He was hired in 2017. He was given a four-year $16 million deal, but he was eventually fired a year and a half into that contract due to his offensive incompetence. And he's currently a DC somewhere in the college ranks. So we want to take that into context as well. Okay, Visca didn't play much as a freshman. Could he have? Yes. The data metrics are void because we don't have any. But take that into consideration. Uh, After the season, Visca, you know, he was very frustrated. He vowed to get bigger, stronger, faster, uh, come back even better his sophomore season. And boy, did he ever, as a sophomore, all right, as a sophomore, It was reported that Visca could no longer work out with the wide receivers because it was taking him too much time to change the plates on the stations and allowing other players enough time to work out. So they placed him with the offensive linemen to work out. Think about that for a second. The wide receivers were now working out with the offensive line because of the weight plates that they're using. And it's quoted in an article I read that he squatted 450 pounds as a sophomore, and he claimed that he could get 550 with fresh legs. Now, there's a video on Twitter, Cam Akers posted that He's squatting 600 pounds, and that's just insane. So the power that this guy has, and it shows on on tape, if you watch him on film, you can see the strength. So as he enters his sophomore season, 19 years, 10 months of age, he just started destroying college football. The first six weeks of the season, he had 60 catches, 793 yards, and five touchdowns. He was leading the country in receptions and yards per game until he injured his toe in the fourth quarter versus USC in that week six contest. Now, Chenault was diagnosed with turf toe, and he sat out the next three games. He then returned week 10 to put up 10 catches, 102 yards, versus Washington State and Gardner Minshew. The following week against Utah, he put up nine catches, 64 yards, but he suffered a labral tear in his left shoulder. Now, he toughed it out. The final week of the season, he caught another seven catches, 65 yards, and ultimately he finished 2018 with 86 catches, 1,011 yards, and six touchdowns, along with 115 yards and five touchdowns on the ground. Now in the off season, he opted to have surgery on both injuries, fixing his turf toe and his shoulder injury. So coming into 2019, fresh bill of health, He was no longer a secret. Defensive coordinators were ready for him. He spent the majority of the season facing constant double teams. And through the first four weeks of the season, he only managed 17 catches, 226 yards, and two touchdowns before getting injured again versus Arizona State. Now, in that game, he was tackled awkwardly on a 23-yard run, and it was initially diagnosed as a core injury, which could be very serious. And we only recently found out a few days ago when he met with doctors preparing for the combine that the injury was ostitis pubis you know, for us to understand, inflammation of the pubic bone. Doctors are now saying that it doesn't require surgery and it just requires rest. But this is definitely going to boost his draft stock because the scouts believed a core injury would be very impactful for his career. So it's safe to say after that week four, Visco was battling this injury for the remaining part of the season, right? He fought through it the best he could. He finished the season with 56 catches, 764 yards and four touchdowns with another 161 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. So I think it's important that we note his rushing production as well, because it's gonna show us his potential at the next level. You know, in his two seasons, he had almost 300 yards and seven touchdowns on the ground. So it's huge for his production. We've seen a guy like Debo Samuel do the same thing, and we'll get into that. But if you're that versatile, if you're that big, if you're that fast, um, there is a place for you in the NFL. So before we get into his film though, let's take an analytical approach first with his receiving production numbers. As I mentioned in earlier episodes, two metrics that have translated over the years in my evaluation are dominator rating and breakout age. The dominator rating represents a player's percentage of his team's offensive production, and the breakout age tells us at what point the player reaches at least 20% of that team's offensive production. I also mentioned that I don't take into consideration touchdowns as market share because they vary so much. Some use the stat, but I do not. When I'm looking at Dominator rating in my formula, anything over 26% of the offense is acceptable, and anything below that threshold is a red flag. So let's look at Chennault in 2018. The games that he played, he accounted for almost 45% of the team's receptions, 44.79% to be exact, and 46.18% of the team's yards. That is insane. All right. In 2019, he accounted for 24.6% of the receptions and 30.4% of the yards. So finishing his two-year playing career with a 34.69% of the team's receptions and 38.29% of the team's yards, easily exceeding the 26% threshold for my model. Now his breakout age would have come in his sophomore season at age 19 years, 10 months, and it's a little higher than I'd like, but it's definitely not a deal breaker. So his data metrics look really good in my model. Now let's talk about his tape. The first thing that you notice on film when you watch him is his size. He's thick, muscular, and he uses this to his advantage. He doesn't shy away from contact. In fact, contact doesn't seem to phase him at all. And once the ball's in his hands, his mindset seems to turn into a running back and run people over. We saw this by the amount of uses Colorado gave him in the backfield on sweeps, as the H back, as the lead back. You know, they gave him a lot of opportunity in the backfield because when he gets the ball, he turns into a running back. Once the ball's in his hands, he shows great field vision. His awareness is top notch. He seems to be at a sense when he's about to get hit and he secures the football. He has great foot quickness. Vertical speed is excellent. Uh, he's very versatile. He's shown playing a variety of positions. We talked about that, including punt returner. And unlike our last eval on Van Jefferson, uh, Visca seeks out players to block. On the, when he's on the run side, he lo- he seems like he f- looks to find players to block. He'll, he'll block down, chop block. He's definitely a willing blocker on the play side. Now, weaknesses that I notice is he uses his size and strength to overmatch college players, which isn't going to translate to the NFL. It's going to be more of your technique at the next level. And he's going to be bullied at the line of scrimmage at the next level. So he needs to work on his release at the line of scrimmage. And he also wasn't asked to run a traditional route tree at Colorado. So he's going to need some work on that with the offensive coordinator, the offensive scheme, wherever he lands to maximize his abilities there. And I When the Combine comes around, I want to see how he tracks the ball. He was underthrown a lot in college, and I know it's because he was fast and his quarterback wasn't that good, but I don't know how he tracks the football. He didn't seem like he tracked it that well once it's in the air, so I want to see how he does it at the Combine. You know, Last year, we saw that DK Metcalf struggled a little bit in the Combine and also in his rookie season, some deep balls he he couldn't secure, so I want to see how Visca looks at the Combine there. It's going to give me a nice comparison between those two for my notes. And really, he doesn't seem to have many weaknesses. And on Twitter, you're going to hear a lot of people dropping Visca down their board due to his injury history or claim that he's injury prone. But I think that's just what you see on the surface. All right. Yes, he's missed four games in two years, okay, since he became the starter. And we went over those. But when you think about it, what he was used for, punt returns, running back, H-back, wide receiver, and the fact that he doesn't shy away from contact lead to an increased chance of injury. That's obvious. We can't predict injuries, so I'm not gonna try to do that. But I think when he arrives at an NFL team, they're gonna coach him up and teach him how to preserve his body so that he can stay healthy. Now entering the draft, he's gonna be almost 22 years of age. I really like Chanel as a player. And if he's fully recovered from his pubic bone injury, I think he's going to destroy the combine. Now remember, we've had injured players perform poorly at the combine due to injuries players like Keenan Allen, who ran a 4-7 while recovering uh, from a PCL injury. And those numbers stay with you. I still read on Twitter about people comparing Keenan Allen to slow athletes. They always see the number from the combine, but they always forget the situation. For those that don't know, Keenan Allen was rehabbing a PCL injury. He still ran at the combine, performed poorly, and even Keenan himself says he's not that slow. Obviously, you can tell when he runs on the football field, he's not that slow. But people still say, well, Keenan Allen ran a 4-7, and if this receiver runs a 4-7, he can be Keenan Allen. No, Keenan Allen didn't run a 4-7. He was injured. Okay, so Chenault could go to the combine. He could perform. Not as good as we think. So that's what the combine is for. You hear people say the combine doesn't matter, the combine doesn't matter, all it is is the underwear Olympics. But that's not true at all. When you see things at the combine, if you're really paying attention, you're gonna take what you see and you're gonna go back and you're gonna look at the film and say, does what I see on film match what I see at the combine? Okay? If the two match, then you know you have a prospect. When the two don't match, you need to go back and double check what you saw, right? So in Keenan Allen's situation, he was the number one receiver in college that year, clearly dominated, clearly had separation, comes to the combine, performs poorly, you go back to the tape and you clearly say, this isn't the same guy, okay? Those are opportunities for us to take advantage of fantasy football, all right? For those that just wanna go by combine numbers and say, this is what he had, this is how I'm grading him, good for them if that's how they wanna do it, but we're gonna take advantage of that. If Chenault goes to the combine, he doesn't perform well, we can look back and say, okay, did this pubic bone injury affect him? Does it hurt his draft stock? If it does, great, we can take advantage of it. Hopefully he lands in a good spot. It doesn't mean that he's destined for a bad career. Hopefully that made sense. So when I'm watching his film, he looks like he runs a 4 I also think he should crush the strength drills, and if he's healthy, the vertical jump and the cone drills. I think, and this may be a bold call, but I think he's going to test like Julio Jones at the combine, and if he does, if he blows it out of the water at the combine, he could be the third wide receiver off the board behind Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb. Now, due to his versatility and the fact that every owner and GM saw what Debo Samuel did in the Super Bowl, I think he's going to be looked at and compared a lot to Debo. Now we can compare the two after the combine once we see, you know, height, weight, measurables, all that good stuff. We can compare the two. But I've seen on Twitter people comparing Visca to Cordero Patterson. Now, I don't agree with this, and I'll tell you why. I'm not saying they're wrong, but I don't agree with it. And there's few similarities, but there's also many differences. One similarity is their size. Both are 6'2", both around 215, 220, both were used as wide receivers, running backs and returners, and they both have dreadlocks. To me, that's it. The difference is Patterson didn't play football his senior year in high school, He went to a community college and then he played one season at tennessee and in reality he was most effective as a kick returner kick returners where he showed his electricity his uh playmaking ability not as a receiver his receiver he just showed vertical speed so a lot of the nfl was enamored with what patterson did his one year at tennessee receiving wise he only had 700 yards receiving in my opinion he was a great athlete but I think he was a little overrated as a prospect. So Patterson also, when you do his evaluation, when you watch his tape, he was a body catcher and he he shed away from contact a lot. But unlike Visca, who has natural hands and he welcomes contact. The only similarity that I could see between the two that could be concerning is that they both, when watching their tape in college, they both seem to get jammed off the line of scrimmage when they release, They didn't know how to get off release unless they could overpower the defensive back. Now, once you get to the NFL, that doesn't happen. That clearly could have been the reason why Cordero Patterson wasn't successful at the NFL because he doesn't know how to get off jam, jam coverage. Now, Visca's a lot stronger. So I think that Visca can overcome this. This is one area that Visca needs to improve on. And I think his strength's gonna allow that with proper teaching at the NFL level. But those are the only two comparisons that I see between the two that could be a red flag. So my comp for Visca, and I'll give you my comp, and it's Anquan Bolden, and this can also go back to the combine. You know, Bolden was a star at Florida State. He showed similar versatility. He was Mr. Florida Football in high school as a quarterback. Went to Florida State as a five-star athlete. Transitioned to wide receiver. He also returned punts and kickoffs as well. And he was expected to be a star at the next level, but his stock dropped after the combine, where he ran a 4.740. Now. You'll still hear people talk about, well, Anquan Bolden ran a four-seven forty. He was slow. And look, he played 13, 14 years. No. First of all, he wasn't that slow. Yes, at the combine, he ran four seven. When he had his pro day, which was a few months later, he ran a four-five eight. But even then, I think he was battling some type of injury. And we saw that his rookie year, when he was just completely outrunning people, I think as a rookie, he had eleven hundred yards, more than five, maybe more than seven touchdowns as a rookie. I mean, he straight dominated and these players that perform at the combine and, and have low numbers, they don't have long careers. So if you have a low number at the NFL at the combine and you have a long career, you can look back hindsight and say it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. There was something going on, either you' either you're pressured by your agent or you feel like your competitive nature drives you to compete. Take some of that with a grain of salt, Com- Compare the combine numbers with what you see on tape. If you think they match, lock it in. If you don't think they match, dig in why don't you think they match and then ultimately make your decision, make your grade and then lock it in there. So right now, I can imagine Visca being one of the first wide receivers off the board in the NFL draft. He's moving into our top spot here on the Roto Lounge podcast. So we've graded Justin Jefferson and Van Jefferson. So we'll post it on Twitter. One last thing that I do like to do is I go on Google, I find articles about players. I try to find things about them on a personal level. I did this with Chenault, uh, but instead of sharing it here in the podcast, I'm just going to put those links with my draft kit. And if you haven't heard yet, anyone that's following me, uh, I'm gonna sell a $5 draft kit. You know, I do this all by myself. I have a full-time job, family, two kids. Uh, I do this for fun, but I'm building a website. I want to have tools available for you guys Uh, i'm not asking any money no no patreon none of that stuff but i am selling a draft kit i'm taking my time to put together a draft kit i'm also going to put together a season-long draft kit what that'll do is that'll allow me to to get some money to put into the website get logos designed you know get anything done articles written anything that i need to pay for that i can provide you good content so if you want to spend five dollars if you want a draft kit it's going to include all the breakdowns of these players we're talking about. It's gonna have mock drafts. Uh, I'm gonna include an article of transitioning from high school to college to the pros and how it affects the fantasy landscape and the NFL landscape. And then I'll include some of these links to these uh, articles about these players in their breakdowns. So you can buy the draft kit now. Uh, You can find it on rotolounge.com. The website's up. It still needs a lot of work. I'm just working on it while it's up. If you go to the merch tab, uh you you to buy it there i'm still trying to write some articles i haven't had a chance to really do a lot of that so pardon the dust if you want to say that but uh if you want the uh draft kit go there it's five bucks it's going to be ready by april 1st before the draft i'll send you an. i'll email you an updated list once the landing spots are confirmed i'll email out that before the draft and after the draft i'm also going to post a link on twitter where you can find the draft kit if you don't want to go to the website the link will take you right there so appreciate you listening I appreciate each and every one of you that return to listen. I would appreciate a like, a review, a subscribe, anything that you can do to get others to see what we're doing here. That would help me out. Uh, that would keep me motivated to keep doing this. I know it's a, it's fun, but it is a lot of work and I'm trying to do it for you guys so that you know you can enjoy fantasy football and perhaps have an edge over your competition. That's the whole point here. So hopefully you gain some insight in this breakdown. Hit me up on Twitter at Roto Lounge. Find me on Instagram at Roto underscore Lounge. I'd appreciate the rating on Apple. Like I said, Um, I have gotten several DMs on Twitter liking my podcast, but it would really help me out if you took those and left a review for others to read. So others will give it a try. Find me on Twitter. Let me know what wide receiver we should look into next. Subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends. Retweet it. Do it all. Until next time, this is the Roto Lounge. I'll see you on the flip side.